0: Chapter 13 of the Brown Brethren this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the brown brethren by patrick mcgill chapter 13 the trenches all night the frogs go chuckle all the day the birds are singing in the pond beside the meadow by the roadway poplar line in the field between the trenches are a million blossoms spring twixt the grass of silver bayonets where the lines of battle wind where man has manned the trenches for the maiming of his kind from Soldier's songs the trench is a world within itself having customs joys and greece peculiar to its limitations The inmates can only claim for the most part a short existence. They have degrees of opulence and poverty, but the former is far removed from those who are legally heirs to it, and all the dwellers in the trench commune share their poverty in common. The word ours is on all lips. Save for a few relics of outside civilization, there is nothing which a man claims as mine. Food and drink and clothing are ours as also are the parcels from home though the men to whom they are addressed have generally the privilege of opening them money has lost all its value for the time being food is not sold here and all men have to work at the same job and they work well for the safety of their bodies depends on the labor of their hands again in the carping times of peace a soldier may depend upon the sweat of others for his daily needs here in the trenches he is a socialist in the highest sense of the much abused word the life of the commune is seldom monotonous its uncertainty makes it interesting its novelty never wanes the trench has its history every dugout a legend and the shell-riven alleys of war are steeped in tradition the narratives of the trench are handed on from regiment to regiment a word or two on the fire-step while the battalion just going out changes places with the relieving battalion, and the legend of an adjacent dugout is made plain. Such scraps of conversation as these may be heard. That dugout on the left got a hole in the roof the other night. A time-expired man who was going off to Blighty the next day went in there and lay down to Kip. A whiz-bang hit the roof, and the poor bloke went west. The Germans occupied these trenches at one time, the guards charged them and not a man escaped. You'll see their dugouts all along here. A sniper used to play L with this bay a month ago. He used to send the bullets into the trench. It took the men some time to discover him. Then they got him. He was up on the top of a chimney stack in the village behind the German trench. He could see right down the trench. Our artillery brought the chimney down and the sniper with it. So the stories are told and retold, and pass from one set of soldiers to the next, who occupy the trenches. No doubt stories become distorted and enlarged in the course of time, but always there is a grain of truth in the most exaggerated trench story, and every tale gives an added interest and a subtle touch of romance to the locality. The mean primitive trench, the home of the Brown Brethren, is not without certain features of grandeur, and an atmosphere of mystery pervades the whole place due no doubt to its close association with death it was yet dark in the trenches of the cologne sector a much beshelled locality on vimy ridge but a faint subdued flush showed on the eastern sky far away behind the enemy's lines stars were twinkling coldly clear overhead and a keen wind rustled along the floor of the trench vague mutterings and rumblings could be heard in the dugouts the men already warned to stand to arms on the banquette were snatching a few moments extra repose hugging with miserly desire at an additional minute's rest sergeant snogger came running along the trench shouting stand to stand to he called there was no particular hurry for the sector was then a comparatively quiet one but the sergeant merely ran because a brisk pace was a most effective means of driving away the sleepy feeling which was fostered by the narcotic odours of the dugout the men turned out yawning and swearing then broke into a brisk run round a near traverse and back again to their post by the dew-besprinkled bayonets one man looked across the parapet fixed an indifferent eye on the ridge and then burst into a ragtime chorus which a mate took up with vigour the suavey wood the shell-scarred spinney where the trees were flung broadcast by high concussion shells lay on the left wrapped in shadow and hiding many mysteries in it was many a little grave where the kindly earth covered friend and foe alike it was a place of many secrets of strange and vague whispering there in the dawn the spirits of the dead men seemed to hold converse but by day the earth could not hide them the weapons of the quick dug them again from the graves and flung them out on the riven spaces of the restless earth the air was cold and keen the men covered their chins with the collars of their khaki coats lit their cigarettes and and leant against the parapet they dozed for a moment and then woke guiltily with a start nobody had noticed them they dozed again the east flushed crimson the german trench to the left showed dark against the glow and stood out distinctly the sniper's bullet ripped a sandbag and a shower of fine white dust dropped into the trench no one paid any heed the birds were out hopping from prop to prop of the barbed wire entanglements a lark soared into air pouring out an ecstatic song the dead men on the levels could now be seen lying close to the earth in limp and ghastly attitudes the birds singing above them the sun was up a million dew drops sparkled in a glorious jeweled disarray on the wires the field had taken a greener hue and in many places the daisy peeped timidly up from the soft grasses a white mist circled round the spinney and the gashes in the trees became more distinct looking southwards down on the level lands one could see the double crust trailing out "'on one side of the village of Lowe's "'and on the other to the mining hamlet of Moroc, "'Away down on the left, twelve kilometers away, "'lay Lens with its many chimneys "'and a number of the chimneys smoking. "'The enemy were probably working the mines. "'The terracotta houses stood out very distinct "'and seemed nearer to us than they really were. "'The air was very clear, "'and a perfect flood of brilliant sunshine lit the town.' the enemy's trench and the dead men lying out on the field the order to stand down had long since been given and the men were now busy preparing their breakfast braziers were alight in the dugouts and the red glow of flaming coke stood out in vivid contrast to the dark interiors little wreaths of pale smoke curled up over the trench and the air was full of the odor of frying bacon Spudhole was frying his bread in the grease and to judge by the expression on his face, he was very interested in his work. Nothing else seemed to trouble him. The sniper's bullet hit the sandbag again, and a spurt of chalk was whisked into the frying pan. The youth looked up, obviously annoyed, and swore wholeheartedly. Then he bent to his work again. Breakfast ready, Bub, Bowdy, and Flanagan sat on the fire step and ate i've an appetite like the war casualty list said flanagan it's always crying for more more and is never satisfied it's almost as bad as bub when he came back from hospital i'd rather be here than in the orse said bub the breakfast is not to be larfed at the fare was indeed excellent and every man did it justice each had a mess tin of tea a thick slice of buttered bread and a rasher of bacon tongues were loosened and the talk became general for there were so many things to talk about the week-old papers which came by last night's post, were read and comments passed on the contents a full-page advertisement in the leading daily came in for a fair share of sarcasm this advertisement told of the virtues of a wonderful beauty cream just discovered it gave a most delightfully delicate pink flush to the skin and took away the effects of twenty or thirty years' wear from a woman's face. It was the talk of London. All the society women were using it. Lady so-and-so had said so-and-so about it. The celebrated actress A. blank vowed that it was the only thing which England had waited for since the early part of the last century, etc. For my own part, I wish they invented something to take away the crawlers off my clothes, Bud-old remarked as he finished his tea i'm going to have a coot he got to his feet took off his tunic and donned his equipment over his shirt Bowdy went into the dugout to have a few hours sleep flanagan sat down on the firestep and lit a cigarette it's getting quite hot spudhole he said odd as hell spudhole replied at that moment a shell burst amidst the poppy flowers on the open in front of the sector and spudhole who was making his way towards the dugout door, clapped his hand to his neck and exclaimed, I've copped one this time. It's given me jip. Flanagan shouted, "Stretcher bearers. Then he turned to help his mate, but even as he did, he felt a sudden penetrating pain pierce his own chin, and the wasp, which was responsible for the sting, flew off to a safe distance and poised itself in the air over the dugout. Fitzgerald, knowing that it was contemplating another attack, prepared to retreat. It's wasp old he yelled. We'll clear off round the corner. But before they moved, Bowdy Benners rushed out of the dugout, festooned with angry wasps. Good God, he yelled, striking out with both hands. I'm stung to death. My pillow was a nest of the swine. Get out, you vermin. Got that one, did I? He stung my finger. Oh, blast! The three retreated on the double round the traverse and into the next bay the occupants were just sitting down to breakfast a good breakfast for the post had come and parcels were bulky what the blazes is this one of them exclaimed as the crush of men round at the corner waving their arms above their heads these ere blokes are working their tickets i suppose he finished his remark with a yell for an enterprising wasp had flown the route and stung the speaker on the nose then the insect made the round of the breakfast party a few fled instantly and escaped others took to their heels at the first sting but the man who waited to pick up the sultana cake and the tin of sardines had all the colors of a board school map on his face for weeks afterwards a narrow crooked trench infested by furious wasps is not a healthy locality the insects outmaneuvered the soldiers at every turn the men turned the third buttress feeling that they had escaped their persecutors only to find that the insects had crossed the top of the traverse and were in waiting round the corner as a man runs a trench is a weary pathway as a wasp flies it presents no difficulties the place was in an uproar the wasps had attacked on both sides some drove the men left others flew after them on the right in every bay their numbers seemed to have increased at the traverse turning the soldiers eluded them for a moment only to encounter them in the next bay a number of men sought safety in the dugouts the wasp followed and drove them out into the perilous trench again. When the first officer was met, he stood for a moment with one foot in the trench, one on the fire step, and stared in astonishment. His wonderment was short lived. A wasp announced itself when it alighted on his ear, and immediately the subaltern became one with the rout. Spuddle was now wounded in several places. The morning had been fine, and like the rest of his mates, he was in shirt sleeves fighting order. "'I've copped a sting again,' he yelled. "'That's umpteen eleven times. "'I've always said that I didn't old with a war like this'n. "'Bombs and bullets, whizz bangs and pipsqueaks, "'and and now these ear-god-forsaken whoopses. "'That's another one, a blurry Boche. "'He sniped me from the rim of me cap. "'God, platoons of em, oh, damn! "'That one took me at the rear where I should have had a patch on me trousers.' "'Again a bay was entered, "'where another merry party was sitting down to breakfast.' a gargantuan spread of fried bacon toast and trench tea a platoon officer was sharing in the meal it was a stout good-natured man with a bald head baby pink and shiny the advance party of wasps could not miss the head the pest came to a halt on it and being nasty they stung when they alighted the officer yelled several words which the men had never noticed in his vocabulary before groping frantically for his hat which as often in the crisis was nowhere to be found he overturned the brazier the toast rack and several canteens of tea scalding the feet of a number of men who were seated on the fire-step the soldiers were up in an instant and raced off along the trench rifles equipment and ammunition were flung down on the floor and trampled into the clay and rubble at this point spuddle was seized with a happy thought a newspaper had fallen on the fire and was bursting into flames spuddle seized the lighted paper held it close to his face and kept the wasp away for a moment but what is the good of it he grumbled as the flames died down i'm getting stung behind and burned in front i'm off and throwing the paper down he fled struggling shoving and waving their arms about the men hustled along the narrow alley two soldiers scrambled up over the top into the open but being seen by the enemy a brisk rifle fire was opened on them and they fled back into their wasp-infested shelter again. At this point Sergeant Snogger was heard. Seeing two men rushing out into the open field, waving their arms over their heads, he stared at them open-mouthed and rubbed his eyes with both hands. A hidden sniper had been potting at the parapet for days. The action was not in keeping with trench discipline. In fact, if the men did not return immediately, they'd be damned unlucky. "'Back, ye fools! Come back!' he yelled. What the blazes was that? The wasp swept past his face like a spent bullet, swung back again and stung him on the forehead. A second caught him on the neck, a third on the arm. He turned and ran. For Flanagan, he was unlucky enough to have his puttees off when the stampede started. In a few moments, a wasp had got up the leg of his trousers. It stung him a half dozen times before he squashed it to pulp what happened when the irish rushed into a highland regiment on the right must be left to the reader's imagination never before had the gale been so conscious of the nakedness of his knees he gave vent to his wrath in vehement words and it was found difficult to ascertain whether his anger was directed against the wasps or the men who were responsible for their coming was it at the hundredth traverse or the thousandth that the effectives of the besetting force lost an appreciable amount of intensity that was a matter for conjecture but this alone is known a jar of marmalade which got overthrown in a bay enticed the insects and many stopped to feast on the disbanded treasure but a few followed with unabated ardor. these were counter-attacked and destroyed and afterwards the soldiers bombed the bay of the broken jar with a certain amount of success the irish strode back defiant and alert ready for anything but the wasps gave no further trouble here and there one or two were seen poised in air over a line of sand but these fled at the approach of the men the dugout out in which they had originally entrenched was left in complete seclusion for the rest of the day and at night bowdy and his two mates approached the place in slow methodical order they found the wasp's nest in a corner of the wall and poured two mess tins of boiling water on it a third mess tin remained but it was not needed well have a drop of char now said bub the evening's getting cold now and we want something hot right-o said bowdy i'll light a fire in here now that the wasp's are gone he lit a fire boiled the water and made the tea outside a sniper was potting at the roof of the dugout he had been sniping all day from where none could determine. Wonder what he's doing it for, Bowdy asked as he sat down and reached for the mess tin, which was bubbling merrily on the brazier. He'll never pot one of us. Even as he touched the mess tin, a bullet ricocheted off the parapet outside, hissed into the dugout, and pierced the bottom of the mess tin. The tea poured out and extinguished the fire. Well, that's past a joke, Bowdy muttered. Blow me blind if I'm not going out tonight to let daylight through that boundering poche. End of chapter 13